I'm Brian. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and we will go into detail about the topics we discuss. So if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. In this episode, the Seagulls get Superman, the Dominion reviewed, Frank Miller's Daredevil, and more Green Lantern? You can never have enough Green Lantern. Well, after our several weeks of discussion of Green Lantern, I thought we'd bring him back again for a, another quick review. But before we get into our reviews, let's get to our top stories. And probably the one that has got everyone a buzz came out, oh, I think probably after we recorded our last podcast last week with the judge's ruling. This is an ongoing lawsuit between the Siegel estate and, and soon the Schuster estate, but the Siegel estate and DC Comics over who actually owns the rights to Superman. And for years, uh, the Seagulls have contended that Superman was never a work for hire, as DC claims. Mm -hmm. And so DC doesn't really own the rights to that. And so this uh, battle has been going on. There was a change in the copyright law, I believe, in 76 that said non-work for hire um, copyright issues or non-work for hire works revert back to the original authors or the original creators – in 76, and, and so this has uh, been notified and has gone through a couple of um, court battles and, and proceedings. And finally, this judge came out with a 73-page ruling that essentially said Superman was created by Siegel and Schuster as not a work for hire. Mm-hmm. And the uh, rights that the Siegels have put down, because they're the heirs, that's what this copyright law says, heirs have the, uh, the right, it reverts to them. So Siegel's wife and daughter uh, now own 50% of Superman. And what does that mean? Well, obviously it means that uh, they're going to be entitled to a lot of profits uh, for everything that happened after 1999. So they're going to have to go through part of that. Uh, they could license the um, the character of Superman or really actually only the things that came out of Action Comics number one. Superman, Clark Kent, Secret Identity, Superman's basic powers, leaping over tall buildings, able to... Uh, super strength, faster than a speeding bullet, well, those is, kinds is, of things. Is that phrase, was that in issue mm, one? I don't know if that was in issue one, but, th- I mean, he had those abilities yeah. in the issue. Lois Lane, obviously, is in there. But things like Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, um, Lex The Luthor. Daily Planet, Luke's, Lex Luthor, those came after as a work for hire, so DC still owns that. Also of note is that DC still owns all the trademarks to Superman Up, Up, and Away, the Superman logo, Mm -hmm. uh, all of that stuff. So it's not like they're going to be losing uh, the ability to publish this. Now, the thing gets a little bit more complicated, I believe, in 2013, about five, six years from now, when the Schuster estate, um, the the one that they've been awarded to is based on the heirs, but because uh, Schuster doesn't have a wife or, or children that are living, his nephew runs the estate, and he can file for the other half of that copyright in 2013, mm-hmm. at which point DC would not own any of the Superman uh, wow. in the U.S. because this is a U.S. copyright law and doesn't right. apply to international rights. Everywhere else, DC still has the rights, assuming that in that right. particular country, such a thing even applies. I-, I talked to a lawyer today to get his reaction. He hadn't delved through the brief that much, but we were talking back and forth. And and really, th- I think it's going to just be business as normal, because if the Seagulls, or even if Siegel and Schuster together in 2013 gets the rights to Superman, who's going to want to buy it? I mean, somebody might think, oh, this is a lucrative deal, but I really don't think Marvel would say, oh, well, we're going to take it and create Superman, and now we'll be the biggest company in the world. Right. I don't think they would do something like that. 
Uh, but what I do think is going to happen is D.C. is going to shell out a lot of money mm-hmm. to both estates at some point. And if both estates were smart, they would retain the copyright, but they would license it to D.C. I, for I, this money. I think that's really what they will do. I mean, it's it's the only intelligent thing to do to say, okay, we won this half the battle. Right. Um, let's just let the money roll in because DC is interested in continuing with Superman mm-hmm. and what, a, you know, them trying to get Superman and another publisher or trying to do other stuff with them. It's just going to be too much work and too expensive. They can just sit back, put both of their palms behind their head, put their feet up on their tables and just watch money roll in. Well, and it's one of those things too, how much, like you're saying, how much money, more money could there be out there and well, how that's much the more potential. But, but see, the thing is, I, you know, it it number this is all about money. When you get down to it, oh, they, yeah. they they don't want to. It's and, not about creator rights. Well, I don't think so. I don't. I, th- I do not end, think this is about creators' rights. I mean, it could have been that people that supported this mm-hmm. or or filed friends of the court. I don't know if there mm-hmm. were may have been interested in that kind of thing. But I think if you're the family, really, all this is is a cash cow. And so right now you're with DC, it's making money. Right. I think you just allow it to go on and it becomes something that, uh, you know, hand down from generation to generation is kind of a, you can bank on this money coming in from Mm -hmm. DC because you don't sue for something like this just to take that character and put it in the drawer so that no one can ever use it. Right. There's no, there's no business sense in that. Right. And it's not about his legacy because I think if you look at any superhero, Superman is the character that has changed less out of any character that's out there. So it's not about them preserving the original Superman or yeah, anything Yeah, because like his that. powers have changed. You know, he's got the ability to flight, the x-ray vision, the heat vision, invulnerability. Still, the thing is, though, he still stands for, you know, truth, justice, and the American way. Copyright. As, <laughs> and that's true. And that is copyrighted, yeah. probably. Um, and... He still does all that in today's context, of course, which is a little different than right. when it first started. But DC doesn't want to change that because that's what people look to the character to. Well, and and again, did did the estate think, oh, we need to retain these rights? They they retain the rights because they have it gives them options for the future to do things. Yeah, so that's right. why they do it. And then you know, if I could see if they were going to let, let's say. DC takes this beloved character and somebody gets their hands on it and they turn him into a murdering, rampaging, you know, and, and that's, they decide that's, there's more money in him being this awful, horrible character. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the family saying, oh no, that's not what he created. Right. Let's take it back so we can take that out of their hands. Nobody's doing that. So again, I think all of this is about, hey, let's, let's make sure we have some control over this. Control is money. And, uh, you know, if we have control, they're going to need to pay us. Right. And so that's it. Well, I guess my bottom line is if people are freaked out about this, and I don't know if you guys read any of the message boards of people responding to um, this, this, you know, handed down a judgment from the judge that, you know, one half of people are like, oh, the seagulls are nothing but greedy, greedy, awful people. D.C. is the poor, poor D.C. And the other Mm -hmm. half of the people are saying, ha, serves D.C. right for not paying you know, Siegel and Schuster, the money mm-hmm. that they were owed so many years ago. Um, you know, what's going to happen? Nothing. Well, It's going to be business as usual. Yeah. Action Comics is still going to be printed month after month. Superman Comics will be printed month after month. Uh, this is going to go into appeal, and it's going to be an appeal court for several years until it probably goes up to the Supreme Court, and somebody has to make a ruling on that level of who owns these copyrights. Although, wouldn't that be great if we got, like... 
um, federal policy because of the Superman case. Uh, yeah, Superman versus the United States of America. <laughs> hey. <laughs> well, Wait, how long ago was this filed? Uh, I think they filed in 90, I want to say in 90 something. After uh, the change in the law? Yeah, they had a, there was a grace period that after the copyright would have reverted 56 years from 1938, that's when it would have reverted back to the uh, Siegel and Schuster heirs. Here I, thought I they were just they were... Ups- here I thought they were just upset about Electro Superman. Yeah, yeah. Red, and, red and Blue or uh, Superman Prime. Uh, well, I guess uh, my feeling too is that if this was such a big deal, they would have somebody would have sued way back when to say we've lost control. Mm-hmm. But it seems like to me what happened is hey, there's a change in the law, and oh, yeah. so now we have to you know so now we're going to have to file this suit to right. set the precedent. And the uh, Siegel Estate has has sued DC three different times over the rights of Superman, and each time uh, DC has settled out of out of court. Uh, handing at one point handing Siegel a pension of uh, twenty thousand dollars a year, which was then raised to thirty thousand dollars a year for not doing anything. Uh, before that, they even gave him his job back, and he was working for the company at a pretty good salary. Um, so you know th- this is this has been around several times over who owns the rights to Superman, and this has been mm-hmm. going on since you know the the seventies. And I don't think we're ever going to see the end of it. And look, Superman's still being published. Now, my understanding is. When the superhero movies started coming out and were really popular, like Spider-Man, right. uh, the first couple, I remember seeing something about your Captain America. You got a yes. Captain America figure over there. That there was some kind of argument as to whether Marvel actually owns the rights to Captain America. I think there was some guy saying, "Hey, I created this and I never mm. sold it." Or there was some kind of, uh, you know, was he he was started in with another company? I think, right? Yeah, and I don't transferred. know. I don't know. And and so somebody was saying that that's why there hadn't been a new Captain America movie because they hadn't nailed down exactly who owns the. Well, rights. I think the reason why we haven't seen anything Captain America movie is because you just have to go back to the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties with Captain America uh, with that the, big uh, clear great. plastic shield that's, and uh, the uh, well, and the helmet. But, and, and that's the reason why. And that motorcycle, have, that yes. sweet dirt bike. <laughs> we have two great Spider-Man movies and one kind of good one, um, despite like the 1960-something right. Spider-Man movie. Right. You right. Know? Right. Or, yeah, uh, I don't know about that. I mean, when we talk about copyright, none of us are, are lawyers, but I thought yeah. it was an important issue that we yeah. should probably yeah. bring up. And it's something that we'll continue to watch, especially since the Superboy judgment hasn't been handed down yet. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know what's going to happen with that character. In DC's case, they still own 50% of Superman, so they can keep doing business as usual. Right. With um, Superboy, they've basically said they don't have the rights to Superboy right now, so they stopped writing him. They killed him off. They turned uh, Superboy. Boy Prime into Superman Prime, or mm-hmm. what they're calling now just Prime, right. and he's this evil person that you were talking about <laughs> just a moment ago, Brian. So we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, I thought it was an interesting story. Uh, Secret Invasion comes out this week. There was an interesting trailer that uh, Marvel released. Any any thoughts, Rodrigo? Not interested. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, I, I think this is going to be a cool story. I mean, again, I'm not a big Marvel person, and if you guys listen, or at some point if we re- release the pre-show recording of this, you'll hear that Brian and Rodrigo know much more about Marvel than I do. But here I'm reading about all these superheroes that may or may not be scrolls, and I'm like, ooh, I'm yeah. interested in what's going to happen. And and that is cool, but here's the thing. I, I think if I was a superhero in the Marvel Universe at this point, after everything that's happened, I would be like, you know what, I'm just hanging up my cool green tights. At this point, because 
you have all of these world-shaking events that happen in rapid succession, and they leave so many dangling plot lines. They leave so many holes. You know, you still you never got the end of. Um, uh, sorry, I'm just blanking Planet out. Planet Hulk, Secret, Civil War, Civil War. Mm-hmm. Planet Hulk, Secret Invasion, House of M, House mm-hmm. of M before Civil War, mm-hmm. and even people were dealing with that. And it's like, boom, Civil War happens, and you know, you get stuff like, oh, well, we're not going to talk about mutants. We'll just deal with that in the X Men books, even though there's things that are like sort of shaking everything at their foundation. Um, and, you know, the, everything that happened in Planet Hulk is just going to go away because of Secret Invasion. Are you tired of uh, then these big? multi-crossover issue events. It's, it's annoying to have to pick up five different unrelated books to get what's happening, first off. Second, yeah, I mean, it's it's too much. You want to have kind of a quiet little story every once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole villain of the week thing has gotten kind of old, so I think they're trying to get away from that. But, you know, something like Thor, where Thor's just doing his own thing. Right. You know, seeing Iron Man just do his own thing, seeing Spider-Man just do his own thing for a while would be cool. Brian, yeah. thoughts on Secret Invasion? Well, and I haven't really gone into it, but... Someone's I, a scroll. Yeah, well, you know, so... I don't even know really what that means, <laughs> frankly. But, a I mean, scroll, Brian, uh, Rodrigo, that's your term for next next week. I will define what define, a scroll define is. Define a scroll. But, but like you're talking about... Um, you know, let, let's do something really big, and let's do something really big, and then five years later, we're pulling our hair out because we have to undo all of this stuff. Yep. Or retcon, ding, yes. ding, 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 right. ding, the characters. So, I, I mean, there is that, you know, one-upmanship that ends up leading to nowhere. Um, I don't know, you know, the planet, I don't know about the repercussions to everything else. I enjoyed the things i saw about planet hulk i think it's it's oh, yeah. cool but planet hulk is, was a great idea it was yeah. a great yeah, yeah. But, i don't know is, why they didn't do it earlier yeah but there, then there is that point that what do you do after that i mean mm-hmm. you know if you he's turn him red and he battles rick jones yeah he battles a tire <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> the a-bomb abomination there you go so, uh, I'm, ooh, I'm excited movie, about it. I'm, I'm looking for good. that first. I'm looking for, looking forward to that first issue. I don't know how the series will play out, or even if I am going to get that in my weekly shipment this week. But we'll certainly look for it. Last week, I made a promise to everyone that I would make a special big announcement uh, this ooh, week. I hope it something involves that's food. Earth shattering. <laughs> something that will make the major spoilers <laughs> universe. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys? All right, sorry, sorry. Keep going, Stephen. <laughs> The major spoilers universe will never be the same again. Oh, right? no. Dun, dun, dun. Steven says crawl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the month of April is going to be Pledge Drive month here at Major Spoilers. Yay. And, of course, everyone thinks Pledge Drive, time to what? change the channel. Da- Daniel O'Donnell's going to be right here. Yep. <laughs> Daniel O'Donnell, Lawrence Welk, it's going to be it's going to oh, be the triple thread. Oh, oh, and, uh, John no. Tesh. But here's the awesome. thing. Here's oh, the thing. This isn't going to be like the Pledge Drives you see on, on some stations or some podcasts. We're going to flip it around. So we're going to actually, ourselves, pledge money directly to the Hero Initiative to aid comic creators. Now... For years, Brian, again, on the pre-show, listen and, and uh, hear how old he actually is. Uh, We've been enjoying comic uh, books for decades upon decades. And, you know, these comic creators that we're talking about, Siegel and Schuster and all these others. Starving artists. Starving artists, really. And in some cases, they need medical attention. Uh, they may need a, just a handout or, a, or something to help them pay a rent for a month or just get by for a little bit. And that's what the Hero Initiative does. It's the first 
ever federally chartered not-for-profit corporation dedicated strictly to helping comic book creators in need, and they help in financially. So I thought, okay, here's what we're going to do. We've actually had some pretty good numbers for this podcast in its very short eight-episode run that we're on right now. I would like it to be more. I would like, for the month of April, to see if we can get 1,000 subscribers, regular subscribers, to the Major Spoilers podcast. And in turn, we will pledge 50 cents for every regular subscriber to the show. We'll use our Libsyn stats to calculate how many people that is at the end of April. April 30th, we'll, we'll do a tabulation, and we'll pay that money directly to the Hero Initiative in the Major Spoiler listener name. And you guys don't have to do anything except tell your friends about the Major Spoilers podcast. Yep. Get them to subscribe either via iTunes, Podcast Alley, any of the other podcast aggregators, and... Listen to the show and enjoy. Tell your friends. We're going to give the money. You don't have to do anything. If you want to give some money, you can certainly do that by going to HeroInitiative.org and uh, and doing a, a quick little PayPal pledge there. But already, a minimum that uh, that Hero Initiative is going to get is $100, but we're hoping to make it at least $500. Yeah. Well, and you think about this. Anybody out there, think about uh, self-employed people. I mean, because essentially that's what these writers are. Yeah. You know, the self-employed, they, freelancers, have to, they, yeah. they pay their own health insurance with no company making a, you know, pitching in and stuff like that. They have to figure out all this stuff. And and the work isn't always that steady. So And and forget, you know, a lot of them are young. They could probably get by without health insurance for a while. But what if they have kids? Yep. You know, yeah. I mean, that stuff is a... incredibly expensive. And, you know, we're thankfully all healthy now. But what happens in six months if we're driving down the road and exactly. we spin out into a ditch and we don't have health insurance to cover a broken leg. Yep. You know, yeah. those kinds of things are really important. So that's the Hero Initiative. And that's the Major Spl- major Spoilers Pledge Drive. We're going to call it the Major Spoilers Hero Drive. It's the month of April. Four weeks you have to get 1,000 listeners to the Major Spoilers podcast, and we're going to contribute the money for you. It's good for your soul. <laughs> I'm certainly going to feel happy after uh-huh. the end of it. All right, review time. We've got a lot of reviews to go over this week. Uh, quite a few, so why don't we jump in with Brian, and you've got actually five reviews this week. Five? Well, aren't you reviewing Dominion 1 through 5? Uh, actually, it's going to be 1 through 4. I looked at 5 a little bit, but didn't get all oh, the way oh, through okay. the story. Okay. But I tell you, Dominion is from Boom Studios. and Brian is hooked on Boom Studios. I like Boom Studios, and I'll tell you what. They're classy. Yeah. This story... Mark Wade, out. please be on our show. <laughs> oh, you guys are so pathetic. <laughs> People are going to start tuning us off. We're going to end up pledging a dollar. Well, that, that means neither. That means one of us isn't listening. <laughs> well, okay, let's get on. Dominion starts off. It's it's kind of really cool. Now, I, I got to say right off, um, one of the favorite things I like to read are novelized versions of comic books or original stories in novel form. I like that. Uh, so Christ- you read Nightfall in book form, yeah. not comic book and, form. Yeah, and, okay. and I read Death of Superman in book form, and it uh, makes me grind my teeth. I got to tell you, farmers from Kansas aren't that hick. I mean, boy, the way they make <laughs> Pa Kent, Pa Kent, Jiminy. Anyway, back to Dominion. Um, Christopher Golden had written a book for the JLA, and it's about this uh, 
virus that people catch and it turns mm-hmm. them into monsters. Mm-hmm. This, as I'm reading it, I'm going, this is exactly the same thing, basically. Mm-hmm. What happens is that something filters down into Earth's atmosphere and then all of a sudden there are monsters going through Chicago. People like what with, kind of monsters? Well, people that have superpowers, but they're out of control. There's uh-huh. this one person that's, you know, about 50 foot tall and is just, uh, looks like they've partially melted and all they're doing is eating cars. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah, and they're creating all this havoc. Well, and I'm sorry I don't have all the names of the characters, but essentially what we have is we have the protagonist who's a police officer mm-hmm. who sees this stuff happening in Chicago, and he's the one that ends up fighting all of them. It's, it's you know it's a little iffy of the fact that he's the one that always figures out in every book how to fight them, and he's mm-hmm. the one that's got the spine, and all the other police officers are, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But it's it's a pretty good book. Um, I enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed from issue to issue. So you mm-hmm. know, it was it was one of those things. And it's a limited run. It ended yeah. at five. At is least the art is the art good. Well, I would say like some of the other offerings we've had from Boom, um, the art very angular art mm-hmm. is is the like in Ultimates and things like mm-hmm. that. I've talked about before. I'm not mm-hmm. really a big fan of that. Mm-hmm. They've got kind of that that simplistic sort of style going on but it's nothing that detracts from the book um you know it's nothing that makes you makes it hard to read right Mm -hmm. um the book does get wordy at times and essentially what they've figured out is that this is some kind of a weapon they alien weapon or an alien weapon that that has come down a doctor she figures this out that it's um it it's not a virus because it's too well designed. Mm-hmm. It's got some parts on it that nature couldn't design. And while a TV camera's rolling, she's talking about the fact that we've got a quarantine Chicago. And so now you've got all these people trying to escape the horrors of these monsters that are and, and some of them look like normal people. They've got these powers, but they're out of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a guy that flies through the air and keeps knocking airplanes out of the sky and, and killing people. Um, there's a woman who's completely on fire and, and they can't put the fires out because it's some kind of chemical fire. So right. they get her out on a wharf or a pier and blow up the the bridge so she can't get off. And so they're trying to isolate all these people. Um and so now they've got the military around Chicago not letting anybody get out because mm. they don't want this to spread. But it was interesting. It it got the first couple issues uh, probably faster paced. Um, then you start getting into the heart of the story. It starts getting a little wordy, you know, mm-hmm. for me. I mean, some, sometimes when you're going through and most of the panel is words, you know, it can kind of slow you down. I tend to read these later at night, so maybe I'm a little tired, too. But but I would say the art um, is pretty good. I would say probably overall that uh, I would probably give this a 3.5 or, Mm -hmm. yeah, probably about 3.5. I think I gave Thor the whole first six about a three. Mm -hmm. So I I, I enjoyed this. It was a good premise. I wanted to find out what was happening. I haven't actually gotten all the way through five, so I don't know what the uh, wrap-up is going to be. But Mm -hmm. I would say if you're looking for something, I like these limited series. If you're looking for something that's just kind of a a short read, I think they're they're interesting. It's the wave of the future. Did I ask if this only took place in Chicago or was it happening other places? No, it's just just in Chicago. It's just about this police officer. I said it. Does uh, he fall in love with the scientist? No, I don't believe so. There they're, they're fighting stuff in. in I'm not book, interested then. Yeah, in book five, he starts acquiring oh, some kind of a problem. Too. So, um, so it's like a superhero zombie apocalypse. Yeah, sort of. But in the I end, like it, it all wraps up. It, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I, I thought it was good. A good, you know, good premise. I don't know that there's a lot of character development. Uh, this this officer, we don't see him grow. It's like all of a sudden he is 
always been the guy who you know can figure things out. Right. Right. There's times he figures things out that they don't really explain how in the world he would have figured Maybe this it's out. His superpowers. What's that? Maybe it's his superpowers. Well, that's what I kind of thought, too. And since I haven't read five, maybe that is the explanation. There is one character that the police are trying to take down, and he's like a brick wall. Mm -hmm. And in the picture, you can see he's in front of a brick wall with his hand on it. So this guy goes and gets a bottle and throws a bottle at him, which hits him, and then he turns into glass. Oh, cool. And then they shatter him. But the thing is, how would you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless, I, unless you've read a lot of comic books yeah. and you're like, he's Mondo from <laughs> yeah. Generation X. Well, and, unless he stumbled and, you know, touched a paper cup or yeah. something, then you, oh, okay, this is what's going on. Hit him with a ho-ho. Yeah. <laughs> then we'll eat him. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's well written. It, it's one of those that... Uh, you know, if you come across it, I think if you're interested in that stuff, I'd say read it. Um, so, yeah, it's not too bad. Dominion from Boom Studios. Yep. What what rating would you give it? Dominion. I think overall, I think a 3.5. I haven't read the last issue. That could, if it really pulls together, it could be really good. But again, the sense of it, so I don't... maybe a 4? I don't... I don't think I was that excited about it. I was Maybe interested in it. Maybe a four, Brian? No. Mark, wait, are you listening? <laughs> <Brian's gonna give laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I trashed, I trashed uh, what? Yeah, uh, Foundation. Foundation yeah, number thanks. three. Thanks, maybe, Well, maybe they'll pull it out in four. You never yeah, know. Yeah, you never know. All right, the book that I picked up, again, I know, Rodrigo, it's it's your favorite character of all time, Green <laughs> uh, Lantern. Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan. We reviewed uh, Emerald Dawn last week, and this is kind of, I don't. I didn't plan it this way because I hadn't read Green Lantern uh, before we'd done Emerald Dawn, but... This is called Secret Origin Part 1, and it actually tells the story between the time that Hal Jordan's father died in the airplane crash and uh, the time that we pick up him in Emerald Dawn where he's a washed-up uh, test pilot. And mm -hmm. so this really goes into, well, what happened during that time that he was, you know, those in between the panels? So this kind of slips right into Emerald Dawn just a little bit. I don't know if it's going to be considered... Uh, canon, or if we're, we're going to retcon some things. I don't know if we're going to see a big yellow robot at the end of this series, but it's really good. It starts off by kind of retelling uh, how Jordan's love with his father, how much he loved hanging out in his dad's airplane, uh, how how much fun he had just skipping school and, and being a kind of a hooligan to hang out with his dad, and, and then seeing his dad's plane crash and him die, and then jumping forward to his teenage years, and he's still going down to the airport and... Uh, you know, just getting into trouble, and he's got a younger brother and an older brother and a mom, and uh, she basically says, stay away from the airplanes, I don't want you to end up like your father, all these things. And then on his 18th birthday, Hal Jordan enlists in the military, in the Air Force, so he mm -hmm. can be just like his dad. And of course, this causes his mom to just uh, essentially disown him. He gets disowned by the family. And no one really wants to see him until he finds out that his mother is dying. And he really wants to see her. But mom said, I don't want to see you in, as long as you're in the military. And he's really making a lot of goofy mistakes, a lot of stupid mistakes, just like he did in Emerald Dawn, where it's just like he's not owning up to responsibility. He's not really taking control of his life. And so to get out of the military, he punches his CO, CO out, mm -hmm. his commanding officer. And, of course, that gets him a dishonorable discharge. Right. So the only type of thing that he could lead up to, of course, is working for Ferris Aircraft. Now, that's not done in... Um, this issue, but I thought it was really good. There's a there's a part where he actually tests the F-16 fighter and actually pushes it past Mach 3 and causes it to break up and, and says, well, I did this so we could save months and months of, of stupid training where I could do it in one test. Uh, and there's another great scene where they're in a bar later on. This could lead to his drinking problem that we saw in Emerald Dawn where the Army and the, uh, and the uh, Marines get in a fight. And guess who one of the Marines is? 
Is it John Stewart? It is John Stewart. Yeah, that we'll see. So it's a one of those forced cameos again, retconning yeah. the, the the story in there. But overall, I thought this was a really good story. There's also a little couple pages with Abin Sewer as he's trying to discover, even way back, however many years ago this took place, mm-hmm. uh, trying to discover what are these secrets of the Green Lanterns and especially what is this prophecy of the Darkest Night. So we're starting to see a little backstory behind there. And I don't know if that's going to retcon how Abin Sewer came to Earth and how he died. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling that's the direction that we might be going for the, through and, this. And they're setting up what's happening after Sinestro Corps and after the, all of these multicolor right. lanterns that kind of hook that up together, right? Right, right. Right. And so I just, I thought this was a really good read. It's part one. I don't know how many parts there are to it. There's probably two or three. Uh, But I thought this was a really good story, kind of telling what happens between those two big major events of his dad dying and then him ending up uh, as this washed up drunk at a bar uh, in Emerald Dawn. So I, if you're interested in that kind of thing, I think you should read it Mm -hmm. uh, because I find it fascinating. If you're not a big Hal Jordan fan, if you're not a big Green Lantern fan, Rodrigo, skip it. Okay. I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to give it uh, four out of five okay. on my list. See, and I, I, I would be interested, I guess, to see some character development. Because yeah, I think see, in the last the one it was kind of weak. That's the problem. See, he's still this screw-up, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that's And you start to – but the good thing is you do see his relationship with the rest of his family, how his younger mm-hmm. brother just idolizes him. His older brother would just as soon punch him in the face and, and disown him and, of course, his dead mother. And I think that has some repercussions later on, especially in Sinestro Corps War, where he's got to protect Coast City and his family, his brother that lives there and his family that lives there. So there's some ties that go on with that. Okay. Uh, but otherwise, not a whole lot of big action in the piece. All right. What about you, Rodrigo? What do you have this well, week? I checked out Young X-Men number one, and um, this is all coming down after uh, Messiah Complex and after really after House of M, Messiah Complex being kind of the, the cleanup after House of M, um, where no more new mutants are being born. There was this uh, child that was born. Right. Um, and during that time, because of all the events that happened, and you'll just have to... Go back because it's too much to count. Yeah, the whole the X Men were disbanded, um, but uh, Professor X died. All the X Men kind of scattered, but Cyclops kind of stuck around and decided, you know what? There still needs to be X Men. There's still mutants that need protecting. Um, I think everyone's at least moderately, uh, somewhat familiar with like giant size X Men number one, right? Second Genesis, the introduction of really what are X Men mainstays nowadays: Nightcrawler, mm-hmm. Colossus, Storm. Um, the first appearance of Wolverine. No, mm-hmm. Beast was older. Oh, okay. He was He's part of the original school. X-Men. Right. Um, the, the, the first uh, Wolverine with the X-Men, because he actually like first appeared in Hulk or something like that. Um, and through the years, about every year or every couple of years, the X-Men get disbanded, and they go through what is essentially the same story. You get a panel of setup. Here is this faraway country. Here's what this mutant is doing. Professor X shows up and recruits him. I've read at least, with this one, probably four different stories that follow the exact same thing, and they're just walking along the same path of Second Genesis. Are these... Uh, so, Cyclops is going out and playing the professor x right character. he's he's the he's the elder statesman in this in this situation are the mutants that he's hiring have we seen these mutants before i mean we're down to how many mutants in the world now 400 uh, and something no it's like 108 or something like oh, that it's, s- it's it's a really small number okay. and you know a handful of them die every once in a while sure. so it's, it's really dwindling and that's why he's recruiting them because he thinks we have to protect the handful of mutants that are left 
and um, also we have to protect them from themselves because really the ones who end up screwing mutants the most are mutant uh, like supremacists and stuff right, like right. that. Um, but yeah, he's going through. We have seen these guys before. These guys were the young X-Men who were uh, in the Academy. Not all of them. Um, but here's here's the real issue with it. Um, it's It's a tired story. It's happened before. I've mm-hmm. seen it before. The powers of these new mutants, you have a big guy that's made of rocks, so he's the thing. Mm-hmm. There's really nothing. He's he's mouthy. He's basically the thing, except he's gray and like a little bit more over the top. Yeah. Um, you have a guy who's a werewolf, and unfortunately, they get into the whole Marvel mutant werewolf issue. Like, there's a, like a strain of mutants that are basically werewolves, mm-hmm. which I just absolutely hate. Is this but the wolf, Wolfbane? Wolfsbane and Feral, and mm-hmm. this guy who's named Wolf Cub, who they play as a Wolverine wolf? wannabe. Yeah. Wolf Cub, really? Yeah, it's a terrible name. But why don't they call him Wolf Loud? Yeah, something yeah, like that. That's DC. Sorry, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. So they. So they're playing him as a Wolverine wannabe. The problem is, is that he is the prerequisite guy on the team with claws that Wolverine started out. Mm. There is one character who's worth it, and that's Dust. She's a uh, fundamentalist or uh, sort of conservative Muslim woman mm. mm-hmm. who can turn herself into a giant sort of sand spiral, and she can like infiltrate things. It's it's a power that you see every once in a while. Red tornado, right? Stuff like that, but never as a mainstay player in a comic book. The, yeah, yeah. Those guys kind of get shoved aside, probably because their powers are a little bit too complex. Right. I would be much more interested in seeing Dust's adventures out in Iraq because when they recruit her, she's essentially protecting this town from raiders. Ah, cool. Um, and she's pretty powerful. She's cool. You know, her mindset would be different. So I would be interested to see more about this character. Every other character, it's stuff that we've seen before. There's there's a guy who I think his power comes from getting tattoos. What? Which, you know, well, it, no, that's in DC. That's tattooed yeah, that's man. Tattoo man. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, stuff like that. Like it's just uh, a Green uh, Lantern, a villain. I, I'm not mistaken. Really, oh, I believe so. Um, it, it all comes back to Green Lantern. It's all um, about Green Lantern. It's the art is the art is okay. You know, the, the design for the uh, I think his name is Landslide, the the thing kind of guy. It's cool. Um, the I, new costumes are cool. I got a question for you, though. Why is you being made out of rock instantly mean that you're super strong? That's that's a good point. Presumably, if... You'd be super slow because you're carrying all around all that weight. If, yeah. all, if your muscles are also flexible rock, presumably that would make you a little bit stronger. But, that, you know, that's something to explore. Um, I'm going to give it... Uh, I'm going to give it two and a half... Because it has some promise, but really it's, you know, I'm not going to pick up the second issue unless Marvel sends it to us for free. Um, I'm sure we can arrange that. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, and maybe they won't if they listen to <laughs> us. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I've seen this story before, and except for Dust, there's nothing new here. We'd still like to interview you, Joe Casada. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Brian, uh, you've got a final collected work, uh, some trade paperbacks. Who are these written by again? Okay, these are Bruce Jones. Ah, and guess what? I'm going to go see him this weekend at Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. So in Kansas City, in Kansas City, April fourth and fifth, right? Yep, that's or fifth and sixth, whatever Saturday and Saturday. Overland Park Convention Center, fifteen bucks. A lot of big names. Uh, 
uh, Walter Keening or whatever his last name is, Chekhov from Star Trek will be there. Or Kenny a, Baker will be there. You can probably get a lot of cool stuff they put Ooh, in a little yeah. bag. Yeah, I'm cool going to pick a lot of stuff. stuff. <laughs> Mason, Mason will get to see his first comic convention. Well, second comic convention because we took him to a very small one in Lawrence when he was about three months old, oh, three to six months old. Nice. So this will be You're one that he can inducting actually... Inducting him into the tribe He's really. going to be a nerd. <laughs> so, but... Uh, he wrote uh, he wrote some trades that you're reading. You've you've ranked these very high on your list. Well, yeah these um, these actually happen to be from the public library. Um, was there the public library is into publishing comics? No, but we I was there looking at stuff, looking at the very small amount of stuff they've got. They've got a lot of mag magna. Manga? Manga. There Manga. we go. They've got a lot of stuff like that. They don't have what I think they probably should have. I think there's, you know, we've talked about the list of things that are high mm-hmm. watermarks. Mm-hmm. But th- this is a series, um, Bruce Jones, I went on Wikipedia to just kind of look at all this stuff. He comes back to Hulk, uh, and and Hulk has been rebooted a few times. Mm-hmm. This uh, first one is Return of the Monster. It's uh, volume one, and it's the collection of Hulk, Incredible Hulk 34 through 39. They didn't have the second volume, but they had the third volume. So the second volume may either be there and checked out mm-hmm. or isn't there because I've mm-hmm. run into that a lot of times, too. Those damn they, thieving kids. Well, or or somebody orders orders some things and doesn't realize right, you need to order all of yeah. them, yeah. you know, so that you can have them. But these are really good stories. Um, I read Hulk when I was a kid. Uh, this is certainly different from that. It's not just the rampaging monster hulk through the entire set of pages this is um a lot of what i think the movie's going to be uh in the trailer for the movie you see a lot of edward norton you know practicing yoga and Mm -hmm. trying to calm the monster and that's a lot of what the this is that he's Mm -hmm. on the run um hulk has been accused of killing a child in a during a rampage in chicago he brings a building down well that's all a setup but he's on the run from everybody and he's essentially, it's almost like the television show. He's moving from town yeah. to town. Walking every, a little bit, yeah. thumb, 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 walk a little bit more. <laughs> that great, that piano great, music in the yeah, background. Yeah, that great piano music, man. <laughs> that was sweet. But, uh, you know, he's, it, it's really a lot more about Dr. Banner than it is about the Hulk. Mm-hmm. There's several of these issues in these trades where the Hulk never appears. Um, he's just trying to calm himself down, trying to work through stuff, and... Uh, then eventually we do see him. Um, he's in St. Louis, I believe, is the first place he's hiding. And uh, a kid is in a gang or starting to become a gangbanger. And so mm-hmm. he's asking him, you know, why he's doing this. And he's like, you know, look, man, this is the this is where we're at. And this is the people who run the neighborhood. Uh, towards the end, he's, you know, he, he kind of confronts them and, and the gang, the gangs are, you know, Asking him, yeah. you know, what what you going to do about it? Yeah. Finally, at the end, he finally decides that he's got to do something about it. Walks back to them and kind of mouths off to them, knowing mm-hmm. that they're going to, you know, they're they're going to do something to him. And then the next scene, you see them all wrapped up in metal, and and he's moving on to Kansas City, and he's out of his Hulk mode. So you don't yeah. even see him. You turn don't, into you don't the even Hulk. see him turn oh, into cool. the Hulk in those. And it's it's uh, I think Maybe it's he well drawn, some cool ninja moves. There you go. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally did that. But these are really good stories. I enjoyed them. There's uh, one story when he goes to a diner and there's a child that has autism uh, at the diner. Um, and I don't think that that's a main focus of it. But mm-hmm. th- this is a whole issue where there is no... Um, where I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a burrito for dinner. <laughs> uh, there's no dialogue at all in the issue. Uh, oh, that's it's, cool. Mm-hmm. It's just all told in pictures. People are trying to get him... Uh, 
like I said, volume two, I didn't get a chance to read. Volume three advances the story a little bit, but actually not having volume two, I didn't find that I missed anything. Hmm. I, I know there's some stuff going on. There's an Agent Pratt who's introduced that I didn't really know anything about, but it doesn't seem like you've missed enough to bother. Um, it looks like they're a collection of four or five of the books in a row. But then um, the next one is got a lot more action and a lot more adventure. They introduce the idea that there's all these agents chasing him that uh, have a secret serum in their body and they can all these people are getting killed and then they keep showing back up because they're regenerating and things mm-hmm. like that, which... You know, that kind of takes the edge off of somebody getting killed in the because you're like, oh, well, they'll be back later. G.I. Joe. But he runs into uh, Agent Pratt, who apparently has gotten some Hulk blood in his body, and mm-hmm. he is now, he can now make himself angry and basically Hulk out. Um, and, and then that we get a confrontation where Banner essentially shows that he can have the strength of the Hulk as Banner. Uh, and then he gets mad enough that he turns into the Hulk and he's actually talking to Pratt as he's beating him up. Mm-hmm. So he's become in control, which, again, I think is the arc that I, I, I would imagine a movie needs to do. Because if they're going to introduce Hulk into an Avengers movie, right. that he's got to have some kind of awareness or control over it. But overall, I really like this. I thought it was, you know, I'd say probably I hate to rank stuff high because then there's no place else to go. But <laughs> right. I think I would I was interested in these. I think they were really well written. There's a lot of differences like i said they they did the issue without any words but then that didn't become hey look we're doing tricks right Right. so they're really well done uh probably i'd say if you see it pick it up and read it because it does give you a good background i'm a sporadic hulk reader i've read a couple of novel uh like a novel book that Mm -hmm. gave me some stuff uh this is different from that but i didn't feel like i needed to know a lot of background to Mm -hmm. pick this kind of thing he gets angry he turns into a big green thing well beats up see doc sampson i know just a little bit about because he was introduced in this book that i had read but in in this you know they give you enough information that you can glean the fact that you know what happened to him and what his relationship with the hulk and mm-hmm. and so i think it's really well done i think it's really well crafted so i'd say four out of five cool. on the trades i there is a whole series i think it goes maybe to volume eight okay of of these and so i i have read some of these and i i really like them and i think uh this is a case sort of like in a killing joke right with the joker where this was going to be like an alternate telling, and then they were like, you know what, this is cool enough. Let's try it. Let's basically bring this into the regular continuity. Uh-oh. So I think these have, yeah, it's a retcon. Well, but also it sounds like we're trying to take a separate story and turn it into canon. Exactly. Hey. Um, so I think that is what ended up happening. This is now sort of canon for the Hulk, which is a segue into today's Word, Word of, of the, the Episode of the Week. Yeah, this uh, this week, Rodrigo, we tasked you with coming up with a little discussion topic on the idea of what is canon, not this big military weapon, but... Right, canon without one N. Um, I think if it has two Ns, then it's something that shoots people. Um, and this this is from... No, people uh, shoot people. Oh, yeah. All right, all right. let's not get into that. Um, Steve Rogers does not shoot people. <laughs> he gets shot. Um, this is from Wikipedia, of course, the definite source on everything. Um, canon in the context of a fictional universe comprises those novels, stories, films, etc. that are considered to be genuine or officially sanctioned and those events, character settings, etc. that are considered to have existence within the fictional universe. Canon, the word, comes from the holy texts of the Christian faith mm-hmm. um, and sort of uh, which texts were being incorporated into the Bible and which were left out, which were apocryphal, which or maybe we'll, we'll go into. Yeah. yeah. 
which maybe we'll go into later. Um, in the context of something like uh, any given comic book, the Hulk, Spider-Man, Superman, it's which things did happen in the regular official DC continuity and which didn't. So something, for example, like New Frontier, we're right. talking about that maybe being a retcon, really something being a retcon kind of hinges on whether it's considered canon or not. Mm-hmm. New Frontier is not canon, mm-hmm. as I understand it. So all of that stuff is a retelling, but it's non-canonical. Um, stuff falls in and out of canon all the time. There's tons of retcons. So, you know, really, you end up with multiple canons. You know, there's like, for the Justice League, you can have the comic book canon. You can have the TV show canon, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is different. You know, things happen differently. Right. You can have things jumping back and forth, like the uh, creation of Harley Quinn mm-hmm. um, from the Batman TV show and then being brought into Batman canon. Right. Well, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is, especially with Grant Morrison's run on Batman, uh, I really wasn't a big fan when he first came on, especially when they introduced Damien, his son. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that became this son and this, his relationship with Talia came about because of a story that was written many, many years ago called, what, Son of the Demon, I believe is what mm-hmm. it was. And at that time, that was a story that was outside of modern storytelling, right. not canon. Okay. Right. By bringing Damien back in and having the son of the Batman or or whatever that was going on in, in uh, Morrison's run on Batman, suddenly we take that story that was outside the universe and we bring it inside the universe. So now it becomes fact. Right. right? Now, does all of that original story become fact or just the key element of the son? You know, I never read that because it was an expensive standalone book at the time and I was a poor college student (laughs) and I couldn't afford it. So I don't know. I couldn't tell you what was going on. in A lot of the time what they do is they just take ideas from that and bring them over. Um, There was a whole run on X-Men called Age of Apocalypse where basically somebody goes back in time, kills Professor X back then, and you jump back to the present and everything is just completely screwed up. Apocalypse has taken over everything. And there were a handful of character designs that people really liked. So once everything got back to the regular continuity and Age of Apocalypse has technically fallen out of canon because a lot of the stuff that happened doesn't have any bearing in the universe anymore. Um, They've changed the costumes. They've inserted things here and there to make uh, like a sunfire. I think, for example, is just now completely on fire and he wears kind of like a kabuki mask. Mm. Um, and people love that. So they're like, okay, how can we make this character like that one? Um, I think Killing Joke is one of the yeah, big that's things. Another that, like, one that's... People were like, this is so cool. Let's make this canon. And it wasn't the – and with Killing Joke, especially now that you brought that up, because they are finally reprinting that with new colors and everything. I'm actually interested in seeing the new colorized version of that book. But one of the things that um, came about from that book, if, at first it was just a standalone kind of retelling of how the Joker became the Joker – uh, and through the process of the story, of course, he shoots Barbara Gordon in the spine, who was at one point mm-hmm. Batgirl. But then we jump forward a few years from that event, and now we see Barbara Gordon become Oracle. So that right. part of the story gets in, you know brought into the DC universe. Uh, they've always wondered, is the story that's told in that book uh, the true origin of the Joker? Is mm-hmm. that the canon origin? And DC's kind of waffled on that to the point where they're not saying yes, they're not saying no. There's actually a point, I think, either in the Killing Joke or in some other Joker appearance later on where he says, I get so confused at times, I don't even 
know if what I remember is actually what I remember. So they're leaving themselves a little mm. escape hatch if they ever want to say, oh, well, we've got a better retelling yeah. of the Joker's origin than than this. But uh, certainly if you can, pick up that, that killing joke. It It's an awesome story. And, and, you know, to get a little bit philosophical on this, um, a lot of people, especially with the just huge multitude of stories that you have, on comic books have to develop their own personal canon. Right. Who is this character to you? What did he do? What didn't he do? Um, to me, you know, John Stewart Green Lantern is mostly JLU Green Lantern plus a couple of cool things that he's done in the comic book because mm-hmm. his origin's different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the 12 tasks of Hercules and things like that, you know, right. sort of in the old school. Can, uh, not that many people can tell you in which order he did them in or whether something was an actual task or just like a side mission here or there. Mm-hmm. But people generate their own idea of what this character is like. You know, you probably, without really thinking about it, take some cool comic book from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and that's Superman to you. Right. Well, speaking of kind of in that philosophical vein... That kind of leads into Brian's question of the week this week mm-hmm. about what is, you know, go ahead, Brian. It's your it's your question of the week. All right. Well, we're asking people to comment on what is their favorite bat symbol of all of the ones, or I guess we're going to yeah. go through a list, not yeah. of all of the ones that there's probably some strange variant out there. Right. But which bat symbol do you like the most? And your first uh, act or your first option is a bat on a yellow circle. Mm-hmm. You have B, black bat across the chest. Okay. C, that looks like a bat bat. Yeah, it looks okay. like a bat. Uh, C, you've got your Batman Begins bat, which is red. More, well, no, well, no, that's no. a Batman Beyond. Uh, this is the one oh, in Batman, Batman yes. Begins. It's the one Sorry. that's more straight across the top yeah. of the wing and yeah. looks more and like his kind of throwing embossed yeah. on, on the armor itself. Yeah. Okay, that's right. And then you've got... D Justice League Unlimited Batman, mm-hmm. which is similar to yeah the kind bat of, it's, it's, the chest. And, but it's a very uh, kind of rectangular yeah mm-hmm. yeah it is it's mm-hmm. very it's a little simpler mm-hmm. yeah design and then you've got E sorry Batman Beyond which is the red one I was yeah, referencing yeah, it's like before big red yeah, yeah big red design so uh, Stephen's a big Batman fan I'd like I'm most interested in what is your favorite version of the bat symbol I'm gonna have to go with A bat on a yellow circle and here's why. Dark Knight Returns, where he's running across Tower 1 to Tower 2 on the rope, and someone's got a gun, and they shoot him right in the chest, and they think that that's going to kill him. And then you look back, and he's still running across that rope, and it's a nice full-page spread, and you see this big rip in his chest right on the bat symbol, and there's bulletproof plating underneath. And Frank Miller wrote it, and he says, you know, people always wonder why I paint a big target right on my chest. Because that's where I'm going to put the bulletproof armor, and I know that's where they're going to hit. So I don't have to worry about my head or anything else because I know this is the perfect target. So that's you know that was a perfect example of why the yellow and black works for me. And and they've really gone and incorporated that into other comic books. I know that Punisher he makes a big deal out of that where mm-hmm. he has a gigantic skull on his chest, mm-hmm. and it's the mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know. I, I really don't like the yellow. I think that Batman is like very dark and spooky and kind of mean. And the yellow kind of does just takes a little bit away from that. Um, I like, and maybe I'm showing my age, I like the Batman Beyond one where... That one is pretty cool. I, I really like it. I think um, it's like bright red against a black field. Mm-hmm. It's still kind of an angry color, right. which I think Batman kind of needs. 
Um, I like the black on gray sort of Justice League kind of look, but I really like the uh, red on black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, mine is the new look Batman, which uh, if you go to Wikipedia, the new look Batman is what I guess I would classify as a classic look. Right. 70s, mm-hmm. 80s Batman, because that's the time when I was impressionable mm-hmm. at that time. It is he's got a gray costume. He's got blue cowl and oh. cape. He's got the big bat, yellow, yeah. bat, the big orange or yellow, yellow. Bla- bat symbol across mm-hmm. his chest, and the big yellow belt. And that's to me that uh, you know any in you know the ears on the bat suit's got to be like six feet tall or something. Yeah. I mean they're I huge. I, I'm not a big fan of the blue cape and cowl. Yeah, uh, you guys have seen my big Batman statue that's in the other room. It actually yeah. came two options. It could come with the black on gray or the blue on gray. And I was just like, I'm sorry, it's got to be the black on gray. Kind of like what Rodrigo says. He's a dark character, not this this happy-go-lucky mm-hmm. character. I, and I think it's just a coloring thing. From I, back I think in it the, is. Yeah. Back in the 70s, it's, it was... It's why uh, Superman has blue highlights yeah, in his exactly. hair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that the blue is used to, to create highlights. But that's to me, that's the classic symbol, and I just like that. It's more descriptive than all the other ones. You know, it's just more eye, eye-catching. But... What you need to do is go over to Majorspoilers.com and take the poll yourself. It's not up yet, but it will be soon. It will be up soon. And uh, you take you talk it out in the Major Spoilers form. I'm always interested to see who likes oh, what. Oh, man, that Shatner question last week. People are all up in arms. How could you How could you not think Kirk was the best Shatner of all time? And then other people are like, oh, no, modern, you know, the, the uh, Denny, what's his name? Denny, Denny, on, Crane. Uh, Crane. Denny Crane on Denny Crane. Boston Legal is the best one. Uh, man, there was a lot of a lot of good discussion on that one. Oh, let me yeah. read you this quote, and let me tell you, let me ask you who you think it is. Outside, the snow has turned to sleet, trying to chip away the walls around me. Something loose and wild flows through the city. I feel my pulse quicken like a jungle drum. It's the night. I've always loved it. I grab the weightless bundle of cloth, the only part of my life worth any more, the one relief I can give myself when it all gets to be too much. I'm the goddamn Batman. <laughs> no, I don't think so. This isn't the guy, yeah. this isn't the GD Batman that you that you hear in Frank Miller's uh, current All Star Batman and Robin run. But it, you know, it sounds a lot like what we would see in the Dark Knight or what we would see in in the current run. But this is actually dialogue from Frank Miller's writing Daredevil in, in Daredevil number two twenty seven that I was flipping through today, and. It's really interesting to note that the same year that this issue came out was also the same year that The Dark Knight Returns mm-hmm. uh, came out in in uh, in its form. And it's just real interesting to see this, which kind of brings up our big trade that we all decided to sit down and read uh, this past week or over the last couple of weeks. Frank Miller's Daredevil, this is the companion omnibus or the omnibus companion that uh, covers, let's see, it collects uh, Daredevil War, Love and War, the graphic novel. Daredevil 227 to 233, and Daredevil the Man Without Fear 1 through 5. Mm-hmm. Who wants to kick off? Um, I'll start it off. This I, thing is, is mighty big, I should point out. It is. It's gigantic. Ginormous. Yes. It is, in fact, ginormic kamungus. I'm afraid of it. Uh, it's kind of scary. Um, it's a lot to get through in one week. It, it is. <laughs> um, really, the, the thing about this is, is that um, it's... I think four or five kind of completely different stories and sort of different takes on Daredevil. Mm-hmm. It starts out with a Daredevil guest appearance on Spider-Man. Yeah. And no, it's TV's Spider-Man. Did you notice t- that? Yeah, <laughs> TV's spectacular <laughs> Spider-Man. And it's that right there is ridiculous. It's crazy. It's an after-school special because at the end, Spider-Man learns what it means to be blind. To be blind and to, you know, sort of, which, you know, of course, Daredevil already knows because he's blind. 
sort of. No, Spider-Man yeah, claims he must be the I must he, be the he, first blind yeah. superhero. <laughs> and the panels are tiny, and there's at least two blocks of text in each panel explaining exactly what's happening in each panel. It's it's kind of a well, hey. hardcore look <laughs> at what comic books used to be. That's what when and every time we talk about this, and I'm saying something about the yellow panel, and you guys are saying the editor's notes. I'm like, no, 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 no. no it's, it's like the, the, the narr- dialogue, the, right? the, the narration of, yep. of of explaining to you that he's jumping through the air over the picture of him jumping through the air yeah, it's, that's how spider-man used that's when i read spider-man it was just like that that's how a lot of stuff used to be written and then contrast that with oh, the yeah. later stuff where there's a lot of very sparse um uh, narration and even dialogue and there's a lot of action and i think that's you know a lot of the stuff you see in dark knight returns and a lot of the stuff you see in frank miller's daredevil is sort of very expressive long or very narrow panels that sort of give you uh, insight mm-hmm. into the character's mm-hmm. mindset. And that really gets explored um, really well. So it is um, kind of four different things. There's that. There's kind of a standalone story in which some guy comes to this town and beats the crap out of some <laughs> ho- hoodlums. And it's a really well-told story. And aside from slight hints of the fact that maybe this guy can see better than other people or, you know, sense things around them better, like, you would never know that it's Mad Murdock. You would never know that it's Daredevil. But it's sort of like this really cool standalone. These people probably don't even know who Daredevil is. Yeah. And he just comes into this town and just cleans up the town. Yep. Um, well, what should be pointed out about this companion omnibus is it's actually the stories that take place place towards the end of Frank Miller's run mm-hmm. on Daredevil. He started in, I think, one, issue 151. So there's this whole buildup. But there are some really still some good, fascinating stories in here. And I think probably the one that, well, we'll get to uh, The Man Without Fear in a moment, but the one that I like is, and especially about Frank Miller's whole run on Daredevil, and again, I'm not a big Marvel person, mm-hmm. okay? So my exposure has been through these collected trades or through someone saying, oh, you really – I think, Brian, you're the one that told me that I need to be reading Man Without Fear in the first place. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, Brian never recommended that one. I love that cartoon, man. <laughs> oh, man. Firestar was hot. But what's really cool about this is the evolution of the characters. You know, here, Frank Miller has really – even in this omnibus, has torn down who – Matt Murdock Daredevil is, mm-hmm. and then rebuilds him. You know, yeah. uh, there's this great arc where uh, the Kingpin, uh, this heroine uh, girlfriend on and off again romance with Matt Murdock, turns him in, sells sells, sells him out the secret identity for a fix. Yeah. And then there's this whole long story arc where Kingpin just does everything that he can to bring Matt Murdock down to the point where he's just nobody. And then to see Matt rise again mm-hmm. as this new Daredevil character, it's it's really a good story. And I think that's the defining piece of this omnibus. The the Later on, you get into sort of the origin, like the right. big origin of right. Daredevil. But that's not nearly as good. I think, um, interestingly enough, I think Frank Miller, in a lot of ways, kind of defined that whole, um, really, I'm Batman but I'm just playing to be Bruce Wayne. Right. But for Daredevil, he really says, I'm Matt Murdock, you know, lawyer who fights for the weak. I also do it with my fists as Daredevil, and mm-hmm. I have some powers. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, it's all about Matt Murdock and who Matt Murdock is. 
Yeah, and one of the things too, when we were joking about those early that early Spider Man where it's got all of the basically narration right, going on. Right. Mm-hmm. You see the same thing in Frank Miller's, but the narration is actually somebody else's th- writing. It it's it's their thoughts in their head. It, there's there's a series yeah. of panels where Kingpin is standing at the window yeah. thinking about all the stuff he did, but it's his internal thoughts and a lot of the stuff leading up to that is Mac Murdoch's thought, thoughts. I, I've I've gotten confused a couple times of whether I was reading Frank Miller's run on Daredevil or Denny uh, O'Neill's who preceded him, but I'm pretty sure I was reading Frank Miller because if, they if show, you saw Electra and you saw the Electra, death of Electra yeah. and the that's hand. all and, and the stick hand, and the stick and all of that that is all Frank Miller stuff and that stuff was amazing because Spider Man was a villain a week maybe mm-hmm. a two month storyline mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, Captain America I was reading was kind of the same thing and and Hulk was wandering and X Men were fighting his run on Daredevil was long subtle arcs yes. of things and it was amazing um, and just the writing one of the lines that uh, I think is great is at the end of the the first one, I'm not sure if it's purgatory or not, but at the end, all these things have happened to Daredevil or happened to Matt Murdock. His life has fallen apart. The bank says he's not paying his mortgage. They turn off his gas, they electric, turn, yeah, everything, everything like this. And so then you see Kingpin thinking about how perfectly things have gone and that mm-hmm. he's hearing through his lowly people that Daredevil is going out of control and just thrashing people, right, trying to find right. stuff out. And then, and then Kingpin is thinking in his head, I, I really must not allow myself the luxury of the one last thing to do to him. I need to just let him suffer. I I need to not do this. And then at the end of the story, the daredevil's building explodes and comes to the ground. Daredevil walks up to it. And there's this great series of, as he's looking through the rubble and he finds his costume, he says something at the end of it that I think is just incredibly well written. He says, "You know, this was a beautiful work of art. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have signed it, Kingpin." Yeah, mm-hmm. that that right there, and that's where the story turns yeah. around. Yeah, and it just like everything just builds up to that moment up yeah. until then. Yeah. yeah, and you're talking about long arc. I mean, Miller's first issue in Daredevil was 158. At that time, it was a bi-monthly series because it wasn't doing that well. Then after he came on board. The series started getting better, more readers, starting with uh, 168 in 1981. This is how old some of these stories are. Uh, 168, that's when it went into a monthly series, and Frank Miller took over both the writing and art duties on the series. And so we're talking about 227 through 233 towards the end of his career, and we're talking about the Mm -hmm. mid-80s for these stories. And you know what? A lot of the basic core story really still holds up. The dialogue may seem a little funky here and there with some mm-hmm. phrases that are used or certain things like that. But I think the stories really still kind of hold up to this day, 20 years later. Oh, yeah. And still make a compelling story, especially with the Kingpin, who, you know, really wasn't a big big villain until yeah. uh, and Frank Miller took over. And, especially, you know, if you look at him against Spider-Man, like, uh, I think especially the Kingpin is kind of like Lex Luthor uh, and in a, in a world where that's a little bit more... Uh, that's a little bit crazier. I think the Marvel universe, well, yeah, you could fight that, I guess. Right. But, um, you know, as like the Kingpin as a Spider-Man villain is just kind of like, eh, so, so he's a guy with a lot of money. He mm-hmm. wants to shoot Spider-Man, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, Miller really gives us a look inside the Kingpin's mind and it makes him a scary guy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really deep. And like I said, that just it's it's not 
two guys standing out on a street corner in costumes battling it out. Mm-hmm. It's all these subtle moves and and it's like you a know, big chess game. Yeah, and it and is. and all these it and it's just it goes very well with the noir film noir yeah. look mm-hmm. of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I look back and I think about all the different the panels being irregular, a series of very thin panels back to back showing action. Um, the in, even in the Spider Man one because Frank Miller drew that. I remember uh, him showing motion of Daredevil flipping through the air, and it would be kind of ghost-like images of him in different positions mm-hmm. through the movement, mm-hmm. which gave it a lot of movement in the in the series. Right. And the stuff he introduced, um, like I said, I wasn't familiar at all with things before his run. So, you know, I got to see Bullseye, The Hand, uh, Stick. You know, he loses, uh, during the issues that I read, he loses his power and Stick brings it, you know, helps right. him rediscover it, right. mm-hmm. uh, Electra and all these things. It was just a really good, solid story arc. And uh, and then uh, years later, you, I, I picked up a Daredevil thinking, man, you know, maybe I'll get back into this. And it was just uh, villain of the week. Yeah. Uh, some, some, oh, Typhoid Mary, which I think is like uh, one of his original right. way back villains. But it was just like, oh, there's, they've lost all of that great subtlety, I think. Storytelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, again, in the mid... Um, it's, it has to be the the early '90s because that's when we were in college. And again, people, that's how old we are. Brian comes up. That's to me. That's how old these guys are. <laughs> Brian comes up to me and he goes, "Were you born uh, in the mid '90s? Yes, I was in <laughs> fact around." Brian comes up to me one day, and I don't know. I guess I talked you into going to the comic shop or something, or one of your friends had given you uh, Daredevil and Man Without Fear, and you were like, "Stephen, you really have to read this." And it was this. It was an expensive title at the time because it had this nice cardstock cover on it. Mm. I've still got the the original four or five issues uh, that it was. And you're like, you really have to read it. So I'm like, okay, I will check it out. And that was my first introduction to Daredevil. And it was Frank Miller, and I knew it knew that name from uh, The Dark Knight Returns. And I was just blown away through this series because it's the origin story told a little bit differently. Maybe some retconning going on mm-hmm. or a retelling that becomes canon. Um, because I actually did pick up the very first issue of Daredevil, uh, which tells his origin story and how he got pushed a man out of the way with the truck and all this stuff. But in in Man Without Fear, Matt Murdock, young Matt Murdock, really is a little hooligan or is on his road to being a, mm-hmm. a hooligan until he stumbles upon his dad. His dad is a boxer. You know, one of those, uh, I don't know, kind of those Rocky-type characters where right. you're never going to be a contender so why don't you come and bust a few knuckles for me, the mob boss, and if you don't do it, or if you don't throw this fight, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to kill your little snot-nosed brat. So his father goes about doing these things, and eventually um, Matt, in one of his excursions of, of uh, trying to be honorary but doing the right thing, um, pushes this man out of the way of the truck, and he gets hit by this this vat of acid or vat of radioactive material. And, and there's radioactive this, isotope. Isotope. Yeah, and there's these people, oh, is that stuff radioactive? Yes, it is. It's pulsing through my brain. And they got this shot of this kid with bandages over his eyes, but this green stuff right. pouring out from underneath. And that's how he starts to learn his power. And we do get introduced to Stick and all these other people who train him on how to use his powers. And then we also get into a big Electra arc where, you know, I had also, I think, previously read uh, Electra Assassin, uh, mm-hmm. Probably years before, which kind of retold Electra's uh, origin story and her death. But um, this is just a fascinating story of how he how he becomes this man without fear. Right. What I gotta d- say, I wasn't terribly happy with the Electra stuff because it just 
clearly seems as a setup that yeah. just never pays off right. within the context of the story. I can see that they were setting it up for later stuff, but I, I wish that they had somehow wrapped that up. She just kind of leaves in the middle of it. Now, the interesting thing about uh, Daredevil, the Man Without Fear, and especially many of these stories in this uh, companion omnibus or the omnibus companion, is that Miller didn't draw everything. In mm. fact, John Romita Jr. is the artist in Daredevil, the Man Without Fear, but I don't care. I think if you wanted to pa- uh, I, I, I actually powerhouses, those... I actually who, really like John Romita yeah, Jr.'s so art, and he actually draws in the stuff that Brian reviewed and the Hulk stuff. Yeah. He actually has some work in that. And I really liked it. I like the stuff on Spider-Man. I like his stuff on Daredevil and I like his stuff on the Hulk. Yeah. Well, and, and too, a lot of this stuff looks like it was influenced and you look through things, uh, the, all the stuff that was influenced by Frank Miller's Daredevil run when he was the right. artist, right. Mm-hmm. it kind of changed the way things were depicted and, and all that stuff. But yeah, there's even in man without fear, there's uh Daredevil's trying you know, put a mask on and is trying to do something right. And uh, I just flipped past it. I'd forgotten about this where he's in this room and he's trying to do the right thing. And all these prostitutes start kind of beating up on him because yeah. he's beating up on their on pimp. pimp yeah. And then he, he thrashes and knocks uh, one of them out through the window and right. accidentally kills her. Um, and it's something that keeps coming back. Yeah. And there's some great stuff where he's just like talking to somebody and it kind of dredges up stuff. So you get like a full page shot of his face as he's talking. And you get this tiny sort of like that flipping through the air stuff that mm-hmm. Brian was talking about. Mm-hmm. Except there's this woman like falling throughout oh, the entirety yeah, yeah. of the page until she hits the bottom. Yeah, it's, A lot of it is just immaculately put together. Yeah. And there was also a uh, standalone graphic novel. I forget which one that is. But it's done in this painterly fashion, which was mm-hmm. kind of hip at the time. Not my favorite. Uh, the thing, I, the the one thing I liked about it, and I, it's definitely not well. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not all that great. It's not uh, really compared to the other stuff. It's not as good. The one thing that's cool about it is that it's almost completely from the kingpin's point of view. Yeah, that's true. Um, and you get to see what the kingpin, why the kingpin does what he does, and why Daredevil ends up being a thorn aside. Um, you see, the kingpin's methods are really the problem. The Kingpin is a person. He has people he cares about, and Mm -hmm. he's trying to do it. He just happens to be a horrible mobster. So the way that he does things is not all that great. So that's what ends up involving Daredevil. Do you think... um, Did you guys both see the Daredevil movie? I did. And what are your thoughts comparing from, you know, if we were to define... You know, who is the definitive writer of Daredevil? We'd probably say Frank Miller and everybody. Mm-hmm. Everything that you know about Daredevil is based on these these books and these stories. And then you go and watch a movie like Daredevil with Ben Affleck mm-hmm. and Jennifer Garner. It's it just seems weak. It doesn't it doesn't compare, it doesn't hold up. They try to get too many characters in. They try to make him seem cool rather than really what Daredevil is about, which is somebody who has like a handicap, something that makes up for a handicap, and him trying to reconcile that with his real life and with mm-hmm. his uh, um, with his law firm and things like that. And right. really, Daredevil the movie just kind of devolves into cool martial arts fight in the fights in the middle of the street. Yeah, and I think it went downhill from the at at the first. It's got a gritty look. He jumps off the building and and he's flying down through the rain and stuff. Yeah, that he comes he comes home and he spits out a tooth mm-hmm. and he's taking Vicodin and he's in the shower and I thought that was really nice. I mean that's the yeah. way it would be. Right. You know it would for be, any superhero. Yeah. It would be horrible. 
then it gets kind of cutesy. I'm Jennifer Garner. I liked a lot in Alias, but yeah. she's not Electra. Right. Electra is always the way Frank Miller drew her. I always thought was a little bit more exotic. Figured. Yeah, um, dark haired, exotic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if she's and she's got ninja powers. Ninja yeah. She's powers. Greek. Yeah, yeah. So it Greek it. Ninja. <laughs> I, I didn't like, yeah, I didn't like that. I thought... Now, let me ask you this. Did you guys so, watch the theatrical release? Yeah, yeah okay. that's the one. Yeah. Watch you the said. director's cut of that movie. It's a totally different movie. And it's actually, I think, if you were going to watch any Daredevil movie, uh, watch the director's cut. Screw that Screw that theatrical release. So you, are you totally discounting the trial of the Incredible Hulk? Yeah. The TV movie? <laughs> The TV movie that introduced the, the uh, guest Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where he was the lawyer. Yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. yeah no, no, no. Mad watch, yeah, yeah. watch, uh, watch the, uh, the. Stan Lee's in the jury in that one. Yeah, Yay! he's in everything yeah, nowadays. He is. It's become do anything. So, for a bottom dollar. line on the um, on Frank Miller's omnibus uh, Daredevil omnibus companion, I'm giving it a four out of five stars. I highly recommend it for really hardcore Miller fans or for anyone who's really looking to read some really kick-ass Daredevil stories, especially that arc where the Kingpin just brings him down and then he gets built up. Uh, Because I think it will wash away that nasty taste of the theatrical release Mm -hmm. out of your mouth. Um, The only drawback, I give it a four out of five, the only drawback is it is kind of an expensive book. It's about 50 bucks. There was another collection that's actually a collection of all the ones that he wrote? Everything up to this uh, 220s, that were here in the in the uh, collect in the omnibus companion edition. It starts from 158 or whatever that he started with, all the way through that. That one's even thicker. That's 800 pages. This one's 500 pages. That one's like 150 dollars if you can find it. I wow. tried to take this book uh, when I was reading it. I tried to take it to a restaurant so I could eat while I was reading. What? I I tried to put it in my bag and it wouldn't fit. So I just <laughs> kind of took it. I just put it next to the table and I opened it and it kept sort of forcefully closing itself on me. Yeah, I didn't want to like spine. Forget it. Forget it. I you know, and that's the thing. That's the drawback of this book. It's too big. If it was three trade paperbacks, yeah, I think I would much rather buy all three trade paperbacks than even if it turned out to be more expensive than buy this gigantic book. I'm sure you could find them in the paperback trade. Probably. But you know, something that's gonna shit Oh, yeah. Sit on and, your and shelf, this, and this will look nice on your shelf. Kid on the head, probably, yeah. probably not on your coffee table. It might break it. Yeah. Well, I and I think of all of the stuff, uh, Badlands, which is the story of uh, him blowing into a New Jersey town and mm-hmm. basically clean cleaning a house is really good. Um, but when it's uh, the Warriors is kind of. Uh, Kind mm-hmm. of a run of the mill uh, mm-hmm. story, but it's it sets up the everything falling apart. But yeah, the arc of starts with Apocalypse uh, two twenty seven through Purgatory, Pariah, and Born Again. Mm-hmm. That gives you if you want to only get just a little peek at what Frank Miller was doing with Daredevil is really good, really good stuff. Uh, and then of course you got that origin story, which yeah. is yeah, yeah. too. So. Yeah, I. It, to me, it's a nostalgic thing that those gave me a look back to. So the would stuff you recommend was, it? to daredevil readers today or people that want to maybe get into daredevil boy that's hard to say because like you said i do always take into account that it's kind of pricey Mm -hmm. it's somewhat dated Mm -hmm. um like i said i myself because i read a lot of those would love to have them just Mm -hmm. for nostalgia but um i'm not sure that you know like we've talked about before, I don't usually like to own a movie that I've seen before because I'm not really going to go back and watch it again because I've seen it. But so. what about young uh, Chase Manhattan that's on his way? <laughs> don't you want to someday hand down to him and say, if Chase, I, I want you to read well, no, I, I The think, Daredevil? I think that's a good point. Um, if, like, like I was talking about with a library, 
I think that there should be certain things they have in there that give people a good idea of what the best of the medium can be. I would say Escapists mm-hmm. is a good example mm-hmm. of what comics can be. Uh, I think Robo, uh, Atomic Robo, in its own style, is a really good example of mm-hmm. what it, what uh, storytelling can be. Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. I would say Frank Miller's run on Daredevil, mm-hmm. for me, is a good example of very well written. I mean, this the just how well written it is compared to stuff where there's not any character development, there's no plot, there's no mm-hmm. subtlety to it and things like that. I think it's a great example. So I would say that if, you know, a library, if it's going to have a graphic novel section or if you're going to have a collection to show your children of what the best of things can be, you throw Shadowhunter into the trash, <laughs> right. you burn it. set it on fire. <laughs> yep. You bury it, it late at night. It. Send it back to hell. <laughs> And you make room for a collection. I don't like. I said I don't know that I would want this collection. Uh, maybe scrimp and save and try to get uh, just the Frank Miller run mm-hmm. on Daredevil, mm-hmm. which which would give you a vast story oh, yeah. of of things of what he did. But yeah, I know I really enjoyed reading this, and if you pick it up, you're going to enjoy it too. Hey everybody, don't forget we've got the major spoilers. Hero Drive going on all throughout the month of April. Tell your friends. Get them to subscribe to the show via iTunes or your RSS feed, and we will, we, the Major Spoilers panel, will donate money directly to the Hero Initiative in your overall group name. Are you guys Are you guys still listening? Are we, are we really at an hour 20? No, because we uh, had 12 minutes of Brian giggling and eating his, <laughs> his dinner. It was delicious. <laughs> hey, well, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget, really, please tell your friends about the show and be sure to visit the website. It's at Majorspoilers.com. You need to feel free to drop us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Tell us how much you enjoy Rodrigo or Stephen, and you can complain about the fact that I, I phoned it in last week and I'm losing my voice this week and I don't know I don't know some of the I don't know what a scroll is so, and, and frankly I don't I don't know that I care I do care about super scroll because that's just stupid ridiculous I'll, I'll let you I'll let you read Annihilation which uh, features super scroll prominently well there or just cue uh, just cue yeah, the Oak, Oak of the Mock yeah right, cool. I love that thing uh, but make sure to get involved in our forums and you can find a link on the front page of the Major Spoilers site. Next week, we'll have more reviews and we'll examine some dinosaur book that Rodrigo bought, brought in last week. Rawr, Rawr. dinosaurs. Ah. Rawr. <laughs> if, if it doesn't have a picture of somebody jumping into the mouth of the dinosaur with grenades and pins flying, I, I don't want to see it. I think it has a dinosaur doing that, so it one-ups that. In, into the mouth of a guy? Yeah, into oh. the uh, bigger dinosaur. Oh, Remember, everybody, we, lo- we know you love comics and we do too. We'll mm-hmm. see you next time. Bye-bye. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your things if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield. I just couldn't care less if they bring back Craven.